take your Bibles and turn them open to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, our text this morning will be verse 47 through 50. And before I read the text, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us. Let's pray. Now, Almighty God, we do pray, Father, for illumination and light. We pray for understanding, Lord. We pray that you would make this heavenly word known to us, for we are earthly. Lord, we struggle to understand spiritual and holy and heavenly matters. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would come especially to us with great patience, instruct us and guide us. And Lord, lead us in the paths of truth. Fill us, Lord, with a zeal and passion for the kingdom of heaven, Lord, that we have yet to have, that we've not yet experienced, but Lord, that which is proper that which is good, that which is, Lord, to our own benefit and to your glory. We pray, O Lord, that you would come and make this uh, parable known to us. Again, Father, help us to see the glory of the Savior and the glory of his work in the earth. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And beloved, chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 47, hear the word of the living God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragged net cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. And so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Beloved, before us this morning is a very interesting uh, parable. Historically, it has taken on a variety of interpretation. Uh, The church father Chrysostom thought it was but a terrible parable with a terrible message. And Gregory the Great said it ought never to be expounded. I'm puzzled too. I don't understand those comments. And I think by God's grace and blessing this morning, we will all walk away even more profoundly stunned by those comments. And brothers and sisters, this parable is a parable that sets forth the glory of Christ's mediatorial reign in the earth. In fact, I wish to lay before you that central doctrine that I will prove from the text itself this truth that the mediatorial reign of Christ is both universal and spiritual. Let me repeat it. That the central doctrine and theme that I will extract from the parable this morning and lay before you with proofs is the mediatorial reign of Christ is both universal and spiritual. The text helps us to understand the glory of 
Christ, his kingdom, his reign, his rule, and the use that Christ makes of the church in growing and spreading and collecting those whom the Father has elected for his namesake. It's part of the series that our Lord now is privately with his disciples and I don't think it's a stretch at all to reason that our Lord is opening up the kingdom to his disciples in a very special and particular way as it relates to them and their ministry. He's helping them understand what this call is, what this power that is going to be soon conveyed upon them, what it will entail and what they can expect. We too need to look and understand for our own sakes, for our own benefit, for our own understanding in order to make sense not just of the whole counsel of God's word but even these parables so that when we read them they truly are lights from heaven. That heavenly sunshine that comes through the windows of our mind and illuminates us to a greater loving devotion to our Savior. It's not at all surprising that many scholars view the parables, particularly these seven in this chapter, as the creme de la creme of Jesus' teaching. The best of the best. That they adorn the gospels by their power to teach so much truth in so few words. You know, it's one of the things that I have often struggled with as a writer. It is said that the best writing is that which says much with the fewest words. And one of the books that was impressed upon me titled Edit Yourself was for that purpose the, to, to constantly refine what you're thinking and what you're putting on paper with the fewest and best words possible using those words that that illuminate that how are pregnant in themselves with meaning and illuminate the sentence instead of having all of these other words that just muddle up the text Jesus doesn't have my problem he is able to convey the glory of the kingdom of heaven in just a few words. Now let's begin to unpack the parable and recognize this glory I am speaking of. As we look at this mediatorial reign of Christ, we will see from the text those two things that I mentioned. That is, that it is universal and spiritual, or I should reverse those, spiritual, because I'm going to deal with that first, and universal. Now, what do I mean by spiritual? Well, before I 
totally unpack it. Let's just look at the parable itself. First of all, in verse 47, it's called the kingdom of heaven. That is, it's of heaven. It's not of earth. It's of a spiritual sort. But it's not just that. It's not just that we're speaking of or that Jesus is conveying some heavenly or celestial truth, but that it is in its essence ministerial. It is spiritual. It has a ministerial effect to it. If you look at the parable, notice he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. It is without a stretch that this dragnet that goes out into the world and and gathers all of these different kinds of fish is a ministry. It is a ministerial approach. It is the effect and the power of this mediatorial reign of Christ in the earth. It goes forth. The church is always ministering, casting out the net, gathering all who would believe and trust in Jesus Christ, at least openly or at least um, publicly, and bringing them into the church so that they might be discipled. Notice verse 48, and when it was filled, that is this net, it drew, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers and the bad they threw away. Again, in verse 48, we see a ministerial aspect of this kingdom of heaven. What is happening here? Well, there's gathering and discarding. That's an aspect of the public visible ministry of the church. There are some that come into the church with great zeal, on fire for Jesus Christ, just cannot get enough of truth, and yet over time, like the parable of the sower, they fall away for a variety of reasons. There's, a, there's always this gathering and discarding. And if the church, we're going to look at the confession here in just a moment. If the church is performing her heavenly duty as Christ being the head of the church, it doesn't belong to any minister or congregation or collection of ministers or denomination. It belongs to Christ. It's Christ's church. He's the head of the church. And if, if the church is doing her duty, performing those moral duties set before her to perform, then there are these impressing upon these members, these symbols and these duties of that kingdom themselves, whether it be father, mother, husband, wife, children, uh, brother, sister, employee, employer, all of the various aspects of our human experience that fall under the teaching of God's word is being impressed upon the development of conscience and character. And some decide they don't want that anymore. 
And some decide that's not for them. They didn't come to be told how to live. Or especially when it comes to something that they are not willing to give up, wanting to give up, or when it becomes an inconvenience. And so there is this discarding ministerial collecting and discarding of membership. Now, brothers and sisters, you can see that this discarding in verse 48 is symbolic of the end time judgment there in 49. That is, as the church ministers, there are judgments to be made. Good and bad, acceptable, not acceptable, righteous, unrighteous. And these judgments, if they are in line with the will of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, they will comport and picture that terrible day of judgment at the end of the age. And verse 49 says, so it will what? Be. This ministry that we'll look at in just a moment should be typical of that future judgment when Christ himself will have that final separation between the good and the bad, the goats and the sheep. Those who are truly his versus those who thought they were his. In the same one, I know we've used this, we used Matthew 7 many times, and rightly so, but there are going to be, and, and I think ministers are the appropriate object there. There are going to be many, quote, ministers on the day of judgment plead their case to Jesus and lose. Did we not minister in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not preach? And he's, the word he's going to have for them is I don't know you. I never knew you because you are the workers of lawlessness. You never obeyed me. You, you never performed this ministry for my glory, for my namesake, out of love and adoration for me. You performed it out of the accolades and the, the human uh, approval that you received on earth. And that's why Paul says, look, some of you have already received your reward. That when some men die, they have received all the good they're ever going to receive. All the accolades they've ever going to get, they've already received. Now let's look at this ministry and the spiritual nature of the church. Again, the spiritual side of it, I think, can be better understood or at least helped to be understood in the sense of the 
object or the, the object of ministry to the church, which is the heart. The goal of the ministry is to affect the heart and conscience, the inner man, that out of our essence, out of our soul, out of our heart would flow from us that blessed saving life in Christ. The state, if you will, this dominion of the state, well, they shouldn't be concerned with the heart. That's the ministry and role of the church. But the state is involved with what? Outward behavior. God's heavenly kingdom is concerned with the heart first. The heart in the shaping, in the molding, in the sharpening, in the quickening of the conscience. Now let's look at the doctrine, or at least this aspect of the church, so that we can understand the parable better. I want to read from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25, as it addresses the nature of the church. The nature of the church. And it describes the, the church in two senses two senses. And those two senses are invisible and visible. Invisible and visible. Paragraph one, the Catholic or universal church, which is invisible. Now notice the description it's going to give of this invisible church consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So in this, the, the, the truest spiritual aspect of the church in its nature, in its truest nature and essence is it's invisible, it, and it's filled with elect. Now, why is it invisible? Why is it called invisible? Well, because we don't know who the elect are. Only God does. Only God knows whom he has elected. Christ knows because he is calling them, and he ministers to them effectually in their hearts. That is, they don't just hear with their physical ears. When the gospel goes to the elect, they hear inwardly and spiritually and effectually and powerfully. Now, that's the invisible church. Now, there's not two churches. There's not an invisible church in truth. There's one church in two senses. One church. Here's the second sense. The visible church, which is also Catholic and universal, under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law. And notice in our parable, what's the, what's the, uh, what are the fishermen doing? They're, they're saning, they're taking their sane are their dragnet and they're casting it into the sea. The sea is that symbol of the world, if you will. It's universal. It's no longer confined to the, the boundaries of Israel. It's now going out into all of the world and calling God's people. So it's not confined to one nation. 
He says, it consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children. And this is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. This is a kingdom that is derived from heaven. It comes from heaven. It originates in the mind of the Trinity. The book of Ephesians tells us that before the foundation of the world, what did he do? He elected. He chose some in love to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. But he goes on, the confession does, and it says that this kingdom is also called the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. That is, this is the ordinary means. This is what Christ is laying out. Christ is saying that this ministry, this dominion, this kingdom, his mediatorial reign is going to go forth. He is going to send forth his ministers and they are going to preach. And in preaching, they are going to gather all kinds of people into the church. And throughout the ministry of the church, there'll be a, 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 a discarding, if you will, a gathering and discarding of people. As the parable says, good and bad. Now, there is a word play here in the Greek, and it is that good meaning out of nature, those who have been regenerated, those who have been made alive, those who have been given the Holy Spirit and renewed, refreshed, and 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 can see the kingdom. What Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And then there is the word bad that Jesus used, and it means putrid, rotten. Of nature, they are corrupt in nature. It's the same word Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about the teachers. Be careful of the wolves coming in sheep's clothing. Judge them by their fruit. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. Same word. There's a corruption that, that is not, cannot be remedied in and of itself. God has to remedy the corruption. God has to come and, and make the dead alive. He has to come and heal the sick and open the eyes of the blind. So we have to understand, beloved, if to make this sense of this mediatorial reign of Christ in its spiritual nature is that this church has been called, his body has been called, particularly those ministers, as we'll see in a minute, that send out into the world that they may gather God's people. Praise God. What, what is this? This is a gathering of God's people. This is a gathering of God's people, and we could be connected even in the broadest sense of the word church, right? 
with others who have gathered under the banner. There's only one head of the church, but that ministry is one ministry where Christ is the head and that ministry flows to God's people and where God's people are truly by his spirit and word, what? Growing in grace. Even right now, there's a sifting taking place. There's always a sifting taking place. There's always a discarding taking place. There's always a gathering taking place. There's either as the word is preached and opened up and explained, God's people are being gathered closer and closer and knit together and more, more stronger, vibrant, passionate, zealous. And, and, and then there are some that are withdrawing because they're like, Pastor, that's just too costly. It costs too much. It requires more than I want to give. So it's wherever the word is preached, beloved, judgment as well as discipleship is taking place. That's why remember what we learned in the parable of the sower, right? Some are being saved and some are only being hardened isaiah chapter 55 speaks of this effectual word that goes out into the earth and and accomplishes all that god sends it out to do and he quit he likens it unto the sunshine that What does the sun do? Well, if the sun shines down on a stick of butter, it will melt it. But what does sun do to Georgia red clay? Hardens it. The same sun, nothing wrong with the sun. There's nothing different in essence with the sun, but there is something different with the reaction that happens under the sun with the butter and the dirt. Let me read paragraph three because this is where we open up and we talk about this uh, spiritual ministry. And paragraph three says, unto the Westminster Confession, I'm saying, says that unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry oracles, ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world and doth by his own presence and spirit according to his promises make them effectual. Everything we've been talking about. But just notice these symbols. These symbols, that is the visible church is known by these symbols. By what symbol? The ministry. There is a ministry. There is a ministry whereby the the rule and reign of Christ is set forth. That's what ministry is for. The ministry is not to set forth some person and their gifts and talents. The ministry is Christ's ministry. It's his ministry. And the ministry is for setting forth his rights, his dominion, his glory, right? His will. 
The church is not the place for the minister. It's not the playground of the minister. That's why we oppose the license that some take in the pulpit of creativity. We don't need creative preachers. We need faithful preachers. We need preachers that are trained to handle the word of God and can demonstrate they can handle the word of God. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Look at Matthew chapter 16, and what I want you to do is look over at verse 13. And I'm going to read a few verses down and make some comments. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah But still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. He, that is being Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven. So you see this heavenly spiritual aspect of this kingdom. In verse 18, and I say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And I'll just stop there and make some comments. In these words, it is traditionally known and I think biblically accurate to see the symbols of ministry being keys. Keys. Where the symbol of the state is a sword, the symbol of the church or the kingdom of heaven are keys. And Jesus tells us that these keys are for Locking and unlocking. That's what keys do. Keys lock things up and they unlock things. And that is this, that as the ministry of Christ bestowed upon these ministers that he calls to this blessed work, this ministry, they are to open up the word of God to all who would listen. All who would listen without discrimination, preach the truth to unlock the kingdom to all who would come into it. But those who come into the kingdom and prove at some point in time unworthy of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, that is like Alexander the coppersmith who betrayed Paul. Or Hymenaeus and Philetus and Timothy that Paul says he is turned over to the devil. Church discipline. There are some that prove to be notoriously wicked and unwilling to follow the will of Christ, the head of the church. And so what does the ministry ministers do in that sense? They lock them out of the kingdom because they have proven to be 
not of Christ, at least in this open, in their testimony. And whenever we have uh, me in my session in the last church I was in, had several discipline cases to handle and oftentimes these cases would last uh, months and, and, and some years. When I say months, I mean six, seven, eight, nine months of, of explaining the will of God, explaining their need to submit to the will of God, opening up the word of God, trying to get rid of all of the distortions and knowledge. Because one of the common feedbacks we hear today is, well, that's just, just your interpretation. You know, beloved, you would be better off, most people would be better off to read the Bible like they read the newspaper. They read the newspaper better than they read the Bible. Because they know how, they know what a context is. And they don't read this news section over there and then insert and synchronize the comics with it. But when they take the Bible... They rip one part out, add it to another part, take that part, rip it in half, take the parts they like, put those together and say, that's, see, you know, to justify their desires. And oftentimes we would go into late many months and some even year, year and a half of pleading, begging, calling them to repent and then coming to the conclusion that we can no longer accept your profession of faith as valid. You say you're a Christian, but you won't follow the scriptures. You say you're of heaven, but you won't follow the heavenly law. You say you love Christ, but you don't do what he says. So we cannot in good conscience as ministers of Jesus Christ, whom we must, Hebrew says, give an account to, we must now consider your testimony as uncredible. And you're no longer a member of this church. You say, well, pastor, that's strong medicine. Well, look at the dragnet. Verse 48, and when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and they gathered the good fish into containers and they threw away the bad. There's a work, there's a role, there's a, a, a moral job that these ministers are called to do. And it's spiritual. And it's spiritual Beloved, in those senses that I have mentioned to you. And there's more. We could unpack this, the, the oracles, right? The ordinances of God. We're not allowed to make things up in the church. We have to walk by a certain rule, a certain standard. And I'm all for multiple denominations. I have been for many, many, many years. But I'm not for trendy churches. I'm not for, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound mean, and I'm not meaning it that way, 
but I, I think it does press a point. I don't think we need cowboy churches. I don't think we need hipster churches. I don't think we need coffee club churches. That's not a denomination. Those are trends that are designed to collect people that like a certain hobby. There's one church. And that church in this sinful world is expressed in several denominations. And these denominations are valuable and important to the kingdom work because we shouldn't have to gather and beat each other up every time we meet over differences. We should be able to gather, agree on the essentials, and press on in this kingdom work, gathering God's elect from the four corners of the earth. And we should thank God for big churches and small churches. I mean, spirituality isn't defined by a small church. Spirituality is not defined by a large church. We should be thankful for the small ones. We should be thankful for the large ones. We should be thankful for the ones that are not so wealthy. We should be thankful for the wealthy. We should be thankful that the work of Christ is being accomplished wherever it is being accomplished. Amen? Our glory is the glory that is ours, the church. The church's ministry and church's glory is the glory of Christ. As the paragraph stated, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual. It's his work. It's not Jess Stanfield's work or Pastor Otis or any other minister. It's Christ's work. He's called us and using us to set forth his glory, his will, his promises, so that you, his people, would be blessed by him, not me. This spirituality, if you will, in this in this, this universal aspect of the kingdom is set forth in this idea of ingathering and judgment. Ingathering and judgment. Now, I've already said a lot about the ingathering of all kinds of people and the elect being among them. It's still one church. And as the ministry as the ministers ministry, the ministry that they're called to and these oracles, these symbols now, what is the symbol of the church? It's the word of God. It's the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine. It's the folded hands in prayer, if you will. These are the things that we are committed to. These are the outward symbols, the, the dove representing the, the descending of the Holy Spirit upon the people, empowering the people. These are these historical, or his, in history, since the his, histories, these are the symbols of the church. Listen, brothers and sisters, the dominion of Christ is not advanced with bullets. 
guns. And I'm for both. It's not advanced by armies. I'm for that too. It's not advanced in modern technology of warfare or in censoring the internet. It's advanced by the power of the Spirit and the preaching of the Word of God where consciences are stung and quickened and hearts are filled with the truth and then made worshipers of the living and true God. It's not advanced through politics, though politicians should submit to the king of glory in their dominion as politicians and protect the church through her legislations. And now, you know, that's almost forcing me to preach about three more sermons on this text. And I would be in good company. Jonathan Edwards preached eight from this parable. So I may, I may walk in good company. Brothers and sisters, this kingdom is heavenly. It's in, it descends from heaven. It's empowered by God. It's, it's advanced by the effectual work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. It is set forth with the heavenly word of God. It has heavenly symbols attached to it. It's not of this world, but it is in this world. And it's real. It's real. Well, let's spend a little time talking about this second gathering. One is an in-gathering for blessing. The other one is a gathering that's not for blessing. It's for judgment. It's for judgment. Notice the parable. They sat down and gathered the good fish into containers. And what did they do with the bad? They threw away. Then Jesus in verse 49 says, and so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. So there's an in-gathering and a gathering for judgment. There's a sorting out process that takes place under the ministry of Jesus Christ. And beloved, listen to me. And please listen carefully. How you sit here under the ministry of the word of God, how you hear the word of God preached, how you take the word of God home with you, how you take it into your home, how you take it into your life, how you take it into your marriage, how you take it into your parenting, how do you take it into your family, how you take it into your workplace. A sorting is taking place. There's a sorting. If you don't gather with the good here, under the heavenly reign of Christ on earth, what makes you believe that you're going to gather in the end with Christ in heaven? 
if the kingdom of God now doesn't appeal to you, and it's the, this glorious heavenly kingdom is dim. We don't see it in all its glory. We don't see it in all that it is. I mean, we, we hear the will of God. We, we observe it in our spiritual eyes in the word of God. We hear it impressed upon. But if you don't want to serve Christ here, what makes you believe for a millisecond you're going to want to serve Christ there? So my point, beloved, in this applications is what's being sorted out with you this morning. There is a kingdom. Are you rejoicing in that kingdom? Are you taking delight in the kingdom of heaven right now? Do these, does the ministry that, that the will of Christ has being set forth the ministry in calling ministers to minister this word, this gospel, fallible men. <laughs> if you've known me for about five minutes, you understand my point. Fallible men have been called to do this heavenly work. Would that be an excuse not to continue in this earthly domain of the heavenly work of Christ. Where are you in sorting out these things? Do you have a genuine love for the church? Hey, in all of its glory, but in all of its weakness, you love the church. You say, well, I, I don't, I, I love Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 5. It's called the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. To love Christ is to love the church. It's to desire the best for the church. It's to want the best for the church. It's to pursue the best for the church. That's why we... we that's why we even are, we conform ourselves. We love Christ, but we love our brothers and sisters. We want, I don't want to distract from your walk with Christ. I want to, I, I, want, to, I want to help it. And God has called ministers to come and aid you in your walk with Christ. And to preach and feed you the word of God so that you would be encouragement, that you would remember the commandments, that you would even remember more of the promises attached to those commandments. That there's going to be a sorting out at the end of the world. And the question I have for you, beloved, if you want the confidence that you're going to be on the right side of that sorting, you need to be on the good side now. You have an opportunity this morning to repent of any of your wayward ways, thoughts, and ideas. So, oh, I'm a church member, you know, but I'm, a, I'm more like the church black sheep or the church rebel. What is that? What are you saying? All you're saying is you're identifying yourself with the bad fish. Beloved, no one here needs to be among the bad fish because Christ 
is set before you this morning. And if you would put your faith and trust in him and repent of your sins, you can have the kingdom of heaven in you. And your church membership will take a whole different experience. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, if this kingdom is your kingdom and you're in it, you have a moral obligation, moral obligation to maintain that good character and that good testimony. Let's pray. Now, gracious Father, just the little that we've heard this morning, may it penetrate our hearts. May we have a greater appreciation of this mediatorial reign of Christ. May we delight in its spiritual essence. May we delight that it's universal, that it encompasses all the nations. And Father, may we this morning sort out in our own minds as individuals, as heads of families, as heads and of, Lord, our own, our, being our own person, but being also attached to families and, and, and others that, Lord, we must consider our ways and whether or not we are gathering with God's people in every aspect of that understanding of the ministry to our consciences, to our hearts. And we pray this, Father, that you would come, that you would continue that revelation throughout today and help us to see and understand where we are in this kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Amen.